to get. 400 years back to when we last heard things happen and prophets happening. No, 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 no. Just because those 400 years silence doesn't mean there wasn't history before that. I've got to go all the way back to Genesis. So we're going thousands of years. So you're going to have to bear with me and buckle up because this could take a while. I'm going to try and keep it to only about 30 people I mentioned, though I did thought that might be a bit excessive. So are you ready for one of the most exciting and inspiring passages of scripture ever? So here we go, Matthew chapter 1. This is why I'm not speaking at the carol service, because you know that's only a short service. The book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judas and his brethren, and Judas begot Pharaoh, and so No, 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 we're getting boring. I'm not going to read every name out. That could take far too long. And you're probably thinking, history, boring, genealogies, boring, snooze time. Hands up if you think genealogies are boring. Anyone? No, just kidding. Hands up if you think they're exciting. You think they're exciting, except for James. I'm with you, James. <laughs> By the end of today's journey, hopefully, we will explore, and you will not think they are uh, boring, and I will not have sent you to sleep. Hopefully. This is our roadmap. I'm going to show you why this is actually one very, very exciting chapter. That histories and genealogies are actually far, far, far from being boring. It would Okay, I've got to click really hard. That angels are not just for children and nativities and wearing big wings and halos and tea towels. That prophecy don't always just happen. You're going to have to bear with me on that one. Because the nature of a prophecy, if it is true, we'll come to that. But they're always worth paying attention to. That's really exciting. The no clip, this is, this is fun. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. And you two are chosen, like each of the 30 or maybe even 80, if you're lucky, people that I will not have time to cover. You have a part to play in this massive story in the history. So buckle up because we are going on a whirlwind tour of the entire Bible. Are you ready? Oh, I've got a new one. <laughs> and it works. This is good. Thank you very much. Okay, so Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to sorry, not just a man, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, as did the angel of the Lord command him, he took his wife, and he knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and they called his name, Jesus. So like we sang before, begotten, not created. Matthew really wants to make it clear that Mary and um, her pregnancy is something quite special. In fact, he makes a point of saying this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. He pointed to the prophecy, the fulfillment of prophecy. In fact, it took an angel. There's an angel that had to come and make this clear to him. That means pay attention. If we jump to Luke chapter 1, maybe we see this from Mary's perspective. Verse 26 in Luke chapter 1. There we go. That's the right bit. 
And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. Familiar words? I'm sure you're all with me at this point. Christmas story. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Okay, got the same message coming here through. Joseph, Mary, both being told. Virgin, God's going to give you a son. Jesus. He will be great and his name will be the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Hang on. I thought there was no father. Isn't his father God? Throne of his father, David. Bear that in mind. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. House of Jacob? Another point. And the kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, and he will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. And Mary said, behold... I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Interesting what that actually meant for Mary. We touched upon in the service what it looks like to to walk with the Lord and to trust him because as a teenager, as a girl who isn't married yet, to have had a child, everybody will assume she had had sexual relations with Joseph, somebody else. But that was not looked upon well. So she would have been the talk of the town. She would have been shunned. You know the silent treatment, being sent to Coventry, walk in the shop and everybody turns the other way and doesn't look at you and doesn't speak to you. And you've done absolutely nothing other than you've said yes to God, I'll do what you ask me to, and nobody gets it. How would that feel? But angels, it was really, really important. God sent an angel, Gabriel, he sent an angel in a dream to Joseph to fulfill a prophecy. Now, what's a prophecy? Let's get some foundations. I said we were going back, and the thing about prophecy is if you've been around church a while, you'll have heard of it, but do you actually know what it is? Anybody? Shout it out. What is prophecy? Who can give me a definition? God's word. So, just if God's word is prophecy, every word from the mouth of God could be prophetic. The Bible is God's word, some of which speak of prophecies and some of which just stories. God's word, true. Is there a deeper definition? Because yes, it is God's word, but while it's that, it's more. Anyone? Foretelling future events. Wonderful, wonderful. So, prophecy. Wikipedia, favourite source in the world, this. You know, it's got to be accurate. Group sourced, everybody decides what it says and they can change it. You can just go on there and go, I don't like that bit, I'm just going to change it. It asks you for a source, but you can quote social media for all it cares. And everybody knows if it's on social media, it's true. Um, Anyway, getting political. The prophecy is a message that is claimed by a person, typically a prophet... To have been communicated to them by a deity. Uh, So they claim, okay, so, you know, lots of authority there. I claim that I'm going to prophesy that there's going to be cheese appear in this manger. That makes it right, right? Oh, it's got to be from God, from a deity. Okay, and it might involve inspiration. Oh, I'm inspired to paint a uh, picture or take a photo. That makes it prophetic from God? Not necessarily. Interpretation of dreams. I've heard some wacky interpretations of dreams. Revelation of divine will. Ah, it might be onto something here. Of events to come in the future. If God has the knowledge, I guess I want to know what he knows. A dictionary. 
keeps it simple. A statement that something will happen in the future. A prediction. Let's go to the Bible. Definitely our source of truth. Peter. Chapter one, 2 Peter chapter 1, in fact. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God. And as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now there's two key facts that we need to know here. Pre-Jesus, post-Jesus and resurrection. Holy Spirit. Very much part of God, part of the Trinity. Comforter, the one who speaks. The one who came upon the ancient prophets of old so that their words could be anointed. Post-Jesus, Holy Spirit lives inside us. We are a temple of the Lord and he leads and directs us and we all can speak. So, it's very key that we note that it was carried along by the Holy Spirit. It is the words of God. It is not just our own assumptions and thoughts. But did you know there's two types of prophecy? Who can guess what the two types of prophecy are? Anyone? How about true and false? I just sort of. Sort of, but it is a key point. Um... Deuteronomy, when a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follows not, nor comes to pass, then the thing that the Lord hath spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. Or, in language I can speak a lot easier and more fluently, if what a prophet claims in the name of the Lord does not take place, this is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously, so don't be alarmed. It has to come from God. If it's going to be true, it has to be from him. And people can presume to know what God's saying. So if a thing proved true by its happening, if it doesn't happen, does that mean it's not of God? I know some people have probably sat here thinking, God's spoken words to me and they've not come to pass. Does that mean that they, the person who spoke was speaking falsely? Does that mean it was a lie? Does that mean I didn't hear God correctly? Sometimes yes, but sometimes no. If you look at all the prophecy through scripture, how many thousands of years did they wait until it came to pass at the point of Jesus? Hundreds, if not thousands, depending on which prophecy it was. But we're going to get to a few of those in a bit. There's, there's a list, 458 and more, that people have decided there are. Rabbinical tradition points to, in the Old Testament scriptures, to Jesus. But there is two other ways of dividing up prophecy. One is conditional. This means it's dependent upon an action, which is, if this, then that. Or, otherwise known as, if you, then I, God. So God says to you, such as, 2 Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I, God, if my people, then I, God, will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and hear their land. Conditional prophecy. A prophet, prophecy is proved by its happening. Well, what if it's conditional and you've got a part to play? Will it still come to pass if you don't take the action of your part? Perhaps with somebody else. Perhaps God might use somebody else to bring it to pass. But conditional, unconditional, an oath or promise. This is conditional upon God. And I love this one. This one is really exciting to me. So, my name, which I'm now using, Elizabeth, because God's been hammering on my door for about a year, six months intensely, bringing people to me, calling me Elizabeth and not Lizzie, because he took me into the depths of what it meant. Elizabeth, from Elizabeth, from Elisheba, first seen with Aaron, brother to Moses, Old Testament, Hebrew name, and it's a fantastic name because the L at the start means God, and the Sheba, or Saba, or Seba, or however you wish to pronounce it, depending on exactly which little dots you put over the Hebrew characters or lines you put under them, um, means oath. So God's oath, God's promise. But why is an oath more important than a promise? Because an oath means to bind seven times. Sheba, to bind seven times a promise. 
which is the number of completion or perfection. So God makes it complete. So if a promise or a prophecy is unconditional and is an oath of God, that means God is the one who makes it complete. It is not conditional upon a person. Genesis. is spoken about in the passage, Hebrews 6, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since they had no one greater by whom to swear, you heard, I swear upon my life, I swear upon somebody's life. He swore upon himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having waited patiently, obtained the promise. This was speaking of Genesis 15, the whole chapter, uh, first part of the chapter, verses 1 to 21, goes through a covenant and what God does with Abraham Um, and actually Abraham falls asleep and he's got these animals he's cut this cow in half and it's here and all of the things and then the birds and in Old Testament uh, oaths and covenants what that meant was you would split the animals in half and it wasn't just gory and blood everywhere you'd actually walk between them together you and the other person who were making this commitment this covenant Claire touched upon the fact that God has a covenant with each of us You'd walk both of you between it to say that, you know, on my head I get split apart if we don't keep this kind of thing. Animals either side, sacrifice, making it in front of God. But God had Abraham fall asleep and God alone walked through. Well, I say he walked through. He made the appearance of himself being bigger than man and greater than the world. He puts the vision of a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, and together they passed through the pieces. So that was God passing through. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to you and your offspring I give this land. So what does it matter? What does it even matter? Um, Dan McCullum has done some studies and says approximately 70% of prophecy is conditional. Conditional upon us and our actions. And guess what? We mess up. We get it wrong. We miss the point. We don't hear. We don't want to do it. We're stubborn. But does that mean it's not always true? No, but if we say Deuteronomy, a prophet is proved by its coming true, the prophecy coming true, then how, how do we know to trust? Well, the Bible is the word of God. And guess what? God's got a pretty good track record. In fact, there are numerous promises promises and prophecies in effect through the whole of Genesis by God himself. And Isaiah then takes up a prophet with the Holy Spirit upon him, and he has a pretty good track record too. But we're going to see more of that in a minute. Are you still tracking with me? Can you see the importance of prophecy? Can you see that God's telling the way? And he writes it through the story of Scripture, the entire Bible. So thank God that while some of the promises in Genesis were conditional... Abraham was told he would have a son. Guess what? He tried to make that one happen. Slept with his concubine, um, no, with his wife's slave. Slept with Hagar and had Ishmael. And then they still laughed. Sarah laughed at God when he came to visit. Um, But Abraham still had Isaac. God still worked it out. Even when he had some part to play. So, enough of the teachy bits. Have you received a prophecy? How about you? I want to take a minute before we look at all of God's promises to us all and how he promised Jesus and how Jesus was the fulfillment of thousands of years of things going wrong and us messing up. Has God given you a promise that you can think of? Have you had one through scripture that was made clear to you? One of my favourites that God just brings to my mind, it pops up, it comes up on my screen on my phone sometimes, I see it randomly in places in my, why is that on a billboard? Um, I will never leave nor forsake us. Maybe he's whispered quietly in your ear directly while you're Maybe... You've had something spoken to you, a promise. Maybe there's been a prophecy to you by somebody you know or by somebody you don't know. Perhaps it's by somebody who's recognized as a prophet, somebody who's authority, somebody who lots of people can see the prophetic gifting on. Perhaps it was another believer. 
Now, if the Spirit of the Lord upon them, then it's no less than. Because gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. There are different kinds of gifts, but from the same Spirit who distributes them to us all. The same God at work in us. Every prophecy comes from God. Not everybody is prophetic as a prophet, but everybody can hear from God. You can hear from God. You have no doubt heard from God. You may not realize you've heard from God. And the reason I'm making the point of this is because God had to use angels to make sure that they knew that they were hearing from God. Because so many prophecies had happened for so many years, and everybody was watching and waiting. They were counting genealogies. They were looking to them and going, well, this person belonged to this person, belonged to this person, belonged to this person, because they knew that the Messiah was going to come in the line of David. So it was important who was in the line of David and who wasn't, and who should we watch? God is behind prophecy. So what's our part? Mary, when given the prophecy, said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. God calls us up. Sometimes it's that he's asking us to share something. Sometimes it's us asking us to turn from sin. Sometimes it's that he's asking us to, to go to a friend and actually just love them. Sometimes he's just asking us to have faith and trust him. I will never leave nor forsake you. I have a plan. I have a purpose. I've written it through the whole of history. There are many coming. And each part of it will be done. My will will be done. And we are part of that big story. So, before we go on any longer, let's get to the many, many things. Angels. Oh, interesting. an extra little bit here. Hello. That's what happens when you have four hours sleep. So, angels, I want to know quickly, who did they visit in the Christmas story? Shout it out. Who got a visit by an angel? Mary! Mary! Well done. So we've got Mary. Who else have we got? Joseph. Elizabeth. Zachariah. So Elizabeth and Zachariah. Zechariah got the visitation in the temple. He was told that Elizabeth would be with child, and he was like, no way. And he got struck dumb and uh, didn't get to speak until he said the child's name is John on a tablet. And then he got his voice back. So he spent the whole pregnancy with no voice. That was a bit fun. Um, so we've had Mary. We saw that in Luke. We've had Joseph. We saw that in Matthew 1. We have had uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Who else? Shepherds. shepherds. Exactly, the shepherds. They saw not just one angel, they saw hosts of angels. They were singing on the hill above them. And we said Joseph, but I'm going to just reiterate, Joseph not only had that bit, but then Joseph had another dream where he saw an angel in Matthew chapter 1 verse... Um, it can't be chapter 1, I've put the wrong chapter reference there. Probably about 3... Verses 12 to 15, anyway, for certain, to tell him to leave for Egypt so that they didn't get deaded. And then he got another dream with another angel to tell him to return to Israel because King Herod had died. Oh, no, no, but don't go there because his son's still reigning. You're going to come over here. He's going to be a Nazarite. So Joseph got three visitations for angels. So you know something really important is going on here because in the Old Testament, angels came occasionally. Most people didn't get visited multiple times by an angel. The Messiah was long and expected. And many prophecies and many people were watching and waiting. Some of the prophecies included that he would be born of a woman. This was the first point of reference scholars make is Genesis 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Why is that important? Because from the very point that the very first person made the very first mistake and the very first mess, God was already saying, I've got a plan, and it's going to happen, and I am going to make sure that the enemy doesn't win. I am going to stamp on his head. So it begins, the story of Jesus begins from the very first point of mistake. That's exciting. Virgin. 
Why is that even important? Well, because if people have messed up and they've got sin and it's, you know, innate to our very nature and DNA and all of the things, it takes God to bring redemption. Hence the Holy Spirit overshadowing. But that doesn't make any sense and nobody would ever believe you if you said that. So it had to be put in about 12 prophecies through the whole of the Old Testament just so we got the idea of a clue that, you know, God was doing a thing. God's son, descendant of Abraham, tribe of Judah, house of King David. Now these are all in the same lineage, you'll see that later. But why is this important? Because Abraham was told all of the people, as many as the stars, as many as the stars, and I will bless you and your people. There were some conditional promises, there was some God oath prophecies and promises, but the general gist of it was, I've got you, I'm going to make this happen, and even when it doesn't look like it, even when Abraham was like, we're this old, we're never going to have a kid, Isaac, the child of promise, and then God was like, how about you go sacrifice him up here? Abraham was like, this is the one child I've always been waiting for, but okay. And then he gets an angel that says, stop, ramming the bush, don't do it, and reiterates the promise God had for him, the covenant. Angels are key to reiterating the promises of God and the fact that there's a covenant here, that there is something good happening. Then we get to, he's going to have the throne forever, because that's good news, because we've seen the state of our rulers and how good they are at keeping things in check and um, knowing whether we should wear a mask or not wear a mask, and whether this is contagious when I speak to you, or only if I speak to you from two metres away, or outside. You know, rulers are really good at their job, so praise God for Jesus and the king who's going to reign forever. Nazarite from Bethlehem. This was important because kings came from royal cities and lived in palaces, and Bethlehem was a sweaty, stable town. Not really royal. Not covered in jewels, no gold filigree. Going to be a Galilean. Can anything good come from Galilee? Recall that verse. And he called Emmanuel, God with us. And other things talk about how he was going to save people from their sins. But why is that important? Because guess what? There was this awesome dude who decided he was going to work out exactly what the chance and probability of one man fulfilling just eight of the potential over 450 prophecies in the Bible about Jesus, well, the Messiah, was. And he came to the conclusion, and this was, may I add, in 1963, when the population was 3.2 billion, that there was a one in 100 quadrillion, you can see how many zeros that is, chance that one person could fulfill just, hang on, I can't do fingers and a pointer, eight of the prophecies. Now multiply that to 400 and add more zeros than I care to count and it'll go all the way across the stage. Something really crazy is going on here. This is big news. No, no chance of it accidentally happening. Now if you can't count with zeros, then the idea, Lou Strobel, who likes imagery and pictures, in his case for the Christ, he constantly gives visual images. He gives us a visual image. And he says, every bit of dry world land in the world. That's the whole of this building and the whole of England and the whole of Ireland and actually let's go for Australia and oh no that's not big enough let's go for the whole of the Russian continent and Europe and all of it was covered in little tiny one and a quarter inch tiles and they were all white but guess what one of them on the back was red and they were on the floor and I was wandering around for the whole of my life around the entire world because imagine I could just you know zoom super fast like Superman and I go it must be Oh, I failed. Next person gets to go, oh, I think it's... No, it's not that square. What are the chances that you're going to turn over that red square? Kind of. You can't even imagine the chance. So there's your visual. Who's going to pick and flip the correct tile? Well, guess what? God, because he knows. So. That's why we need him. That's why we need his help, because... Alone, we can't find that one tile. We can't work out how the prophecy represents it. He sent angels and said, look, it's this one. He's the white tile with the red on the back. You didn't realize. Genealogies. I said you were going to find these exciting by the end. And this is why. We knew, I've already mentioned, Davidic lines. It was important that the Savior came from the line of David, the king, the one who was given the keys, key of David. Before the Gospel of Matthew, they never, ever included women. 
They were always lists of men. This person, this person's sons, this person's sons, this person's sons. Go to Chronicles, you can't fail to miss them. You'll see a little picture of where they all are in a minute. Um, Dr. Luke includes more generations than Matthew. So how can we have two genealogies that are different? Surely they've come from the same person? Well, there's all sorts of theories. And no matter which theory you look at, they say, well, there isn't quite enough information, but logically, actually, this works and this works. And every excuse you give for it, there's something that works to solve it. And the reason that they choose the number of people to represent. I'm speaking to something that probably won't bother most of you, but there's going to be one or two of you who are really, really mind-based and logical, and you need to understand the answers. And this, this is a massive point. This really upsets a lot of people. I don't understand why you'd be upset when you look at the fact that Jesus has just come as the Messiah and he has met the prophecies and he's met all 456 odd of them not just eight, so there's a one in whatever chance but no, people get upset that there's too many people in one lineage and not enough so if you read Luke chapter 3 versus Luke uh, Matthew 1, different numbers of names and the reason is they are grouped the same way that Hebrew texts used regularly which was all the words had meaning, there was structure and purpose to how they wrote, including numerically. Now, we've talked about how seven is the number of perfection and that God completes. Matthew touches, not Matthew, sorry, Luke touches upon this. So he groups the names into 11 groups of seven. And it's suggested that that's probably the line of Mary, whereas Matthew has three groups of 14. Now, the name David in Hebrew, letters relate to numbers, and the numbers add up to 14. So three groups of 14 makes nice equal sets that basically says, guess what? God's in control. And that is important. And you can also have this whole skipping of generations things because the word begot doesn't necessarily mean this is my direct son or daughter. It means they are of my lineage. They are of, so they could be the great grandfather of and they still begot that person. So God is in every single detail and that is where you see the two lines. You've got one going via um, Mary, and at the bottom one going via Joseph, but they all start, and it goes all of these people till we get to Christ. But why are these names so important? Why even bother putting those details into the scriptures? You can see where they cross-reference and come through Jewish culture in, well, you probably can't because that's tiny, tiny. But I'll give you an idea that there's a huge number of passages in Chronicles. There's some mentioning kings and two kings, the blue and the purple. There's some in Ruth, which is the purple over here to the left, and then you've got some in Genesis. And then Luke's genealogy, which has like 71 people in, on the left, and Matthew's on the right. And I've probably lost some of you, and you're thinking it's really boring, so let's go and see why it is so important, because these promises related to real people. Adam, guess what? Makes a mess. We already know the story. Falls, lies. Oh, no, I didn't do that. Oh, no, no, actually, it was her fault. And then... Jews and Israel, Israeli culture take a huge thing about the firstborn son. That is the one who inherits. That is the one who is the important one. It's like our kings. When Queen Elizabeth passes Prince Charles as the first, and then if he is not in line, then it goes to William before Harry, because William was firstborn before Harry. In kingly lineages, firstborn is important. But yet, this is an interesting lineage because guess what Seth wasn't the firstborn and um so Adam and Eve because don't you forget Cain and Abel and Cain got jealous and killed Abel and he got sent off into exile so that didn't work so now we've got Seth he's the thirdborn he continues the lineage has the children Enosh, Kenon, Mahaliel, Jared, Enoch he's amazing he doesn't even live to the point of going into a grave and God just whoosh up into heaven so we're doing really well here Methuselah and then Lamech who knew something, because he said of Noah, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, speaking of the original curse, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. The promise is running through the story. He was, Noah was known as a righteous man, blameless in his generation. He walked with God. The flood, the Lord said, there is no person on the whole planet who is good. I'm going to have to destroy them all. It's failed. Sinned with Adam. Things are still going wrong. But then he gave Noah a chance. And Noah has Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But guess what? Noah then gets it wrong after he's built the ark and he's done all this amazing stuff for God and he gets absolutely drunk. He drinks too much. 
does stupid things and his sons have to cover him over with a cloak because he's there naked and being um, shameful. And so Ham gets cursed along with the whole of the people of Canaan. Comes in later because Canaan causes problems, but God brings him back into the story, you'll see soon. So I'm going to go faster because this is just a list of names that probably mean very little to you because we hear very little about them. So then we go to Arpachshad and Salar and Eber and Pelag and Ru. There they are. And then we get Sarug and Nahor and Terah and Abram. There's a name we recognise. Right, we've caught up again. And there are so many promises with Abram and his wife Sarai. The Lord spoke to them. There's Genesis 12, 1 to 3. There's Genesis 13, 14 and 17. He appeared, the Lord appeared to them in Genesis 12, verse 7. The Lord appeared to them in a vision in Genesis 15, 1 to 11. And the word of the Lord and the covenant came to him in a dream in Genesis 15, 12 to 20. So he appears lots of times. And you'd think that Abram's starting to trust him with all these appearances and visions. In fact, the Lord appeared to them in Genesis 17, and he renamed Abram Abraham, and he brought in the circumcision covenant and said, this is, this is the conditional promise bit. You do this, and I do that. You take the, uh, the chop, but you and all your men, the circumcision, and all of your generations and blessings and land. And he renamed Sarai, Sarah, and they promised them the son Isaac. And 12 princes from that, guess who that is? Joseph and his brothers. Judah and all of the, the many brothers, and that keeps coming. They didn't believe him. So then, this is exciting. The Lord appeared to him again. But this time as three men came to visit. Three, interesting, you say. God, one in three persons visits as three of them. And he reiterates that Sarah is to have a son. And she laughs. And God catches her laughing. And then she lies about the fact that she's laughed to God. Some of Jesus' generations are doing really well here. But yet, this is who the Lord chooses to work through. Abraham even has to bargain for his nephew Lot. Sodom and Gomorrah running away, salt pillars, city destroyed, all of the things. So the world still after the flood hasn't kind of got it right. You thought the correction might have worked. No, no, they're still messing up. But God's promised I will never flood the whole world and kill you all. So there has to be a different plan. So then we go. Abraham, who is the father of nation, has Isaac, his second-born son, not his first, because his first was with the slave woman, not his own with Sarah. Only he's still involved in the promise of all of the people. And then we get from... Um, Isaac to Jacob and he gets renamed Israel and he has oh he has a potted history oh my gosh so he starts with having Jacob's ladder you know the dream puts his head down angel appears and then the Lord God speaks to him and gives him a promise from heaven and he says this is a place of the Lord and he builds an, um, an altar and it's amazing but then guess what he has these sons and they don't do very well and he gets them married off and then one of them dies and then the second son doesn't want to have children by the first son's wife and it gets a bit funny and he says oh we can wait how about you go back to your home people um why don't you go back and tomorrow and guess what we'll do when my third son grows up he can become your wife and you can still have children so you're not you're not being let go but then guess what he doesn't keep his promise his son marries somebody else so then when his wife dies and he's off along the road, guess what Tamar does? She realises it's him. She gets crafty. She puts on a cloak. She sits by the road and pretends to be shrine prostitutes. And he says, how much? And she says, and they go off and she gets pregnant. So yeah, line of, line of Jesus doing well. Jacob, who is Israel, has gone off with a prostitute and then accuses his daughter-in-law Tamar of being a terrible because she's now pregnant and she's not married. How very dare she? Oh, but look, the person who this staff and this, this signet ring belongs to. Oh, that's mine. Oops. Potted history. And we thought genealogies were boring. So, to go very fast, Judah then to Perez, Hezron, Ram, also second-born son, Aminadab, um, and then we have Narshon, we have Salmon, we have Boaz. Boaz, do you remember? Married Ruth. Ruth is exciting. She's a Moabitess. She's not of Israel. And, um, well, her mum is Rahab the prostitute. 
She helped hide the spies. God was favorable on her because she helped the people of Israel. But she's not one of them. But yet, Obed, Jesse, King David, and we know he's amazing. We know King David is amazing. Seventh born, prophecy over him, has to run away for his life, comes back. But then guess what happens with David? He's an adulterer. So actually, Solomon, the son that's mentioned, is actually his tenth son, because he has six by six different women first. And then, then Uriah's, the Hittite's wife, takes his fancy, and then he sends Uriah off to die. So it's the seventh woman. And then it's his fourth son by her. So Solomon's the tenth son. David's doing well too. But it's his line that's going to reign forever. And then we have Rehoboam, Abijah, Asaph, Jehoshaphat, Joram. At least he followed in the ways of the kings of Israel. And then Isaiah, who tried to follow God, but then defiled the temple. Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. Oh, he built a tunnel. It's a pretty cool tunnel. I've been through it. Really long. They buried it from two different ends and it crossed in the middle because there was, guess what? War happening. And they needed water and they needed to be able to get out of the city of Jerusalem. So times weren't easy. Life was hard. But guess what? God still promised through this line it's going to happen. Then we go to... Um, and his brothers, and they get taken off into exile, which we mentioned. Exile, always fun. Being a slave, favourite thing in the world to be a slave. Get told what to do, when to do it, have freedom, all of the things. I've skipped through all of the kings because if you look at the history of the period of the kings, most of them messed things up and were generally a bit nasty or a bit selfish or didn't last very long because they got killed. Um, then we go to Sheltiel, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, Abiud, Elakayim, Azor, and then we've got Zadok the priest. Prophecies, are we noticing something here? He's going to be king and the priest, the two together. Achim, Elihud, Eliza, Matan, Jacob, and Joseph. We've made it. We are here. We have arrived. Who was the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, and is called the Christ. So a potted history shows that Jesus has a flawed family, to say the least. But that's exciting because his name was that he was coming to save his people from their sin. God had a plan from the very first sin to Jesus. And he realized that we just go in cycles and it goes wrong and it goes wrong and it goes wrong and we need a savior. And that is Jesus. So the um, genealogies show there would have been people would not have accepted Jesus if he had actually have been direct lineage to Jacob anyway. I mean, he wouldn't have been God anymore either, but it negates the problem of the curse, which was that you shall never sit on the throne of David again. And Jesus, we know, is to sit on the throne of David. Why is this important? Because it's the first adoption that we see that is the pattern that shows us as adopted sons and daughters. Joseph takes Jesus as his own, so he's adopted into that family line. And it comes through Mary. God is his father, but the line of David comes up through Mary, and it comes through Joseph, who adopts him. So both parents have royal lineage. Jesus is a king at the point he's born by birth. And it's exciting. You see, all of these people, that's who I've just gone through. Told you, lots of people. And you can go both ways and you still get to Christ from either side. And you've got all of these kings at the bottom, all of the ones who do crazy stuff and are really quite nasty at times. But there's also five women. I mentioned there was never women in genealogies. And why? Why would you mention women? Unless, of course, you were trying to say that God accepts women is what some people say. But what's really interesting is none of them are the good women. There are some really amazing women in Jesus' genealogy. And all of these ones are ones who the people you're trying to convince with the genealogy would say, oh yeah, but we're not going to listen to them because they're of ill repute. You've got prostitutes, you've got people from all different tribes. They're not Jews. You've got Hittites from the north. You've got Moabites, Ruth the Moabitess from the south. You've got Canaanites to the west. Never inch this way from me, so that way for you. And then you have got Jericho on the eastern border. 
He came to save his people from sin, but he came to save all people from sin. He brought all the tribes back in. He brought all the nations back in. It wasn't just about Israel. It's you. Everybody from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and something that was mentioned earlier, every tongue in heaven and earth, every knee shall bow at his throne. Jesus is for everyone. For you and you and you and you. That's why there's women in there. Or one of the reasons. I'm not going to go into all the rest. They're exciting. Go look it up. There's loads to be found. God can use anyone. Literally anyone. Herod was the reason that one of the prophecies was fulfilled. Because he said everybody had to go and be um, censored. That they had to go and have their name So that is what made Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy that he would be born in the town of Bethlehem because of Herod, not a godly man. Wanted to kill Jesus, in fact, not a godly man. Jesus can use, God can use anybody, and Jesus' story shows us this. And there were so many angels. Joseph and Mary and the shepherds. The kings didn't get an angel. They got a star instead, which reflected a prophecy. So they knew the star was the sign. Why was it so important to point and say, this is the one? Because, 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 because. People have been waiting and watching and looking and seeing these prophecies and going, who is it? And they've been trying to work it out. And when Jesus came and fulfilled it, do you know what Herod's response was? Herod, to the kings, He said, we're almost there, we're, we're coming into land, don't worry, it's not going to keep you much longer. He said, and when Herod the king heard this, Matthew chapter 2, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and in assembling all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people, the holy men, the ones who were looking to the prophecies, the rabbinical tradition, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem. Why would they be troubled that the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for, is finally coming? Perhaps because they like doing it their way. Perhaps because they like not messing up. Perhaps because they like not being told they're getting it wrong. Perhaps because they don't want to change. Jesus is a call to change. God's promises are a call to change, to take action. So, we know that it was important. Jesus had legal right. He fulfilled the prophecies, and he couldn't have fulfilled the prophecies of being a king of David's lineage in a kingdom that lasts forever if we didn't know where he came from. But look, one in 100 quadrillion chance 40 years ago, and that's exponentially grown as the earth has exponentially grown in the number of people. And there was sin throughout the whole of his genealogy, but he came to save people from their sins, and he brought all of the people of the world, north, south, east, and west, you and me included, back into it. God had a plan. So, what promises of God have you been watching and waiting for that you have missed and haven't seen? Can you have hope in a God who writes the whole of history to show that his hand is in it at every moment? From day dots, from the garden, from the start of creation, Jesus coming, and yet we're still living in the now and not yet, because Jesus has yet to return. But we'll get to that after Christmas. What about if you feel too sinful? What about if you feel life's too hard? I will never leave nor forsake you. You have a part to play in God's plan, but you've got to accept Jesus first as the Messiah. Can you have faith like the many, many in Hebrews 11 who were talked about, pre-Christ most of them. By faith we have understood that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We are all created and come from that word of God, that same word that brings hope. By faith Abel offered uh, to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which was common as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so he should not see death. 
to walk with God, he never died. And he was not found because God has taken him, but before he was taken, he was commended for having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. By faith, Noah was warned by God concerning the events yet unseen. He was given a prophecy. He was told of what was to come, the foretelling of the flood. And um, in reverent fear, constructed the ark, saved his household, saved the whole legacy of the people of the world, of Jesus' coming because of what Noah did. By faith, taking his part with the word God gave him for his part to play in the story. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes of faith. And by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he was to receive his inheritance, walking in the back of nowhere. And it goes on and on. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even though she was past the age, even though she laughed at God, even though she told him, not a chance, who do you think you're kidding? God still did it for her because God, because it wasn't a conditional a promise of God, an oath of God, the number seven of perfection that God fulfills it and he fulfills it with you and he fulfilled it in Jesus. So I want to leave it there. Hopefully I haven't taken you too much of your time and it was worth it to see how important this moment, this moment of Jesus' birth is to us because it changes our today. It changes our tomorrow. It changes our families' lives. It changes our legacies. Every one of our generations who went before us and who comes after us. Because we are welcomed into the courts of the king. We are adopted into the family. So I just want to pray. Lord, I thank you that you welcome us. I thank you that you made unconditional promises promises, that your prophecies were unconditional, that you would send a saviour and he would save the sins of the world. But Lord, I acknowledge that I have a part to play, that we have a part to play as we come and we bow before you now and acknowledge that we make mistakes and that there's been things you've asked us to do that we've probably missed. I know I definitely have. Would you forgive us, Lord? As we choose now to turn from ignoring you or being selfish or deciding that actually what we want is better when you have a plan that is rooted through the entirety of history and you know the plans that you have for us as a people as a nation as your people plans to prosper us and give us a hope and a future something that not even a pandemic or covid can take away so forgive us for not trusting you in your plan lord we choose you we step into your promise and say thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the hope of the world, the light that has come, to bring light in the darkness, to give us a reason for life. We thank you.